Good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's just a really kind of a cool, nice little buzz here today, and uh, maybe it's just because everybody's trying to stay warm. Um, I've got about, well, probably 20 or so extra pounds on me, and I'm still freezing. So I was telling Christopher, I says it doesn't help. Hey, would you agree that you never drift into something better? What? No, really. Would you agree that you never drift into something better? You have to be intentional if you're going to get, if you're going to, I mean, listen, do you just drift into losing weight? Okay, now you're tracking with me. No, you're going to be intentional about life. And I think that so many simply drift. And I want to challenge you as we go into this new year that you really get a little bit more intentional about some important areas in your life. Would you agree that life can be viewed, your life, my life can be viewed as a series of decisions and goals, some good ones, some bad ones, some that we haven't even uh, taken care of or pursued. And our life right now is basically the, 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 the total of all of those decisions, good, bad, or indifferent. Would you say that that's where you are today because of that? Or if you don't say yes, then that probably means you want to blame somebody or something. How many want to do that? I think we could all point to some good turns that have helped us, some wrong turns that have set us back. And that's what I love about the new year is it gives us the opportunity, at least for me, to evaluate. In fact, if you think about your brain, where all of our memories are stored, it's kind of like a big filing cabinet or uh, a, a computer file that's a hard drive. And for me, I know that as I look at that or think about that, I've got, a, I've got one big file labeled under the S category. You know, like it seemed like a good thing at that time. I thought it through and worked it through. Seemed like a good thing or idea at that time. Let me give you a classic example and a true story of that. Not from my life, but it happened July 2nd, 1982. The man's name was Larry Walters. He was nicknamed Lawn Chair Larry or the Lawn Chair Pilot. He was a 33-year-old truck driver from North Hollywood. And he had just a little bit too much time on his hands. And I'm sure that he thought at the time, this is a good idea. See, Walters had dreamed of flying most of his young years growing up. But because of poor eyesight, he couldn't fly in the Air Force. And then when he was 13 years old, he was in this, in this military surplus store. And he saw these balloons up at the top floating in the, in, in the uh, military surplus store. And he had the idea, I wonder if that could help me fly. So one day, 33 years old, July 2nd, 1982, he decides, I'm going to fly. So Larry heads down to the local Army-Navy surplus store. He purchased 45 weather balloons and a couple of tanks of helium. And so he takes it all over to a friend's house who lived in San Pedro, and he tethered an aluminum lawn chair. Yeah, just like you and I go sit, you know, in the summer in. Tethered it to his car and he tied all of these water balloons to the lawn chair and he filled the balloons with helium to produce what he called his homemade airship that he dubbed Inspiration One, the flying machine. 
when that was all done, there was just a few things left to do. So he decided to grab his pellet gun so that he could shoot him as he descends, to help him descend. He grabbed a camera, a CB radio, a portable altimeter, and a few peanut butter sandwiches and a six-pack of beer, and he had a seat. Yeah, th- th- this, this sounds like a disaster just waiting to happen, doesn't it? Now, Larry's plan was very straightforward. He was going to float up a few hundred feet, let the prevailing winds take him gently over the Mojave Desert, and once there, he would begin to just kind of shoot the balloons one at a time. And then he would kind of just begin to drift slowly downward to the earth. And once on the ground, he would radio and get, uh, get a call for a ride. Th- that's how he saw it going down in his mind. It seemed like a really good idea at the time. Here's what actually happened. When Larry cut the rope anchoring his lawn chair to the car, he and his chair shot skyward with breathtaking speed. It was just a matter of minutes. The freestyle balloon has found himself in rarefied, thin, cold air with a panoramic view of the Los Angeles Harbor almost 16,000 feet above sea level. Hey, this is real stuff. You can't make this kind of stuff up. And just as he had anticipated, the winds, even at this altitude, were causing Larry to drift out of control. So there he was, drifting cold and frightened with his beer and peanut butter and sandwiches. For some hours, what he hadn't factored in on his course and on his plan that it would take him directly into the flight path of incoming air traffic into LA International Airport. All of a sudden, the people in the control tower get uh, messages from a TWA uh, 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 pilot and then a, a Delta Airlines pilot. Uh, we've got a guy up here at about 15,000 feet and he's being held up by balloons. And he's carrying a gun. (laughs) Oh, I couldn't believe this when I read it, but it's... Uh, Let me cut away here for a few minutes to an important truth. Almost everything about your now, loved ones, really is a product of your past decisions and goals or lack thereof. On that July day, Larry's now involved dangling over two and a half miles in the earth, getting buzzed by jetliners. Those circumstances were a direct result of a goal that he had when he was younger and some decisions that he made kind of on the fly during that day. Now, sometimes when we make decisions, we don't get quick feedback, do we? He was getting very quick feedback on how that decision and that goal was working for him. But sometimes we don't find out ours for years or even decades later, uh, our decisions, whether they're good or bad. Wise or foolish. Now, Walters was a very straightforward man. When asked by the press why he did it, he said, you know, you can't just sit there. (laughs) When asked if he was scared, he answered, wonderfully so. When asked if he would do it again, he said, nope. When asked if he was glad that he did it, he grinned from ear to ear and he said, oh yes. How can you make better decisions for the coming year? 
What is the most important decisions that you can make? So that when you get to the end of 2013 and you move into 2014, you, you can look back on this year that you're now in and go, thank God I made some good decisions. I changed some of the trajectory of my life. Instead of going down and to the right, I'm heading up and to the right. Because there's some good things happening. There's some things that I've taken care of. I believe the key really is your will. Your decisions is where it's going to start. Psalm 119.75 says this, all of God's judgments or decisions are right. And this becomes the operative truth. Are you going to align your life, your thinking, your decisions with God's, or are you going to kind of pull a Larry and just kind of figure you can figure this one out and do it on your own? And ultimately, we understand, usually that'll get us into a little bit of trouble. If you're interested in making bad decisions, kind of like Larry Walters, and he's your kind of hero, well, the good news, that's pretty easy to do. But I'm convinced that Paul gives us some pretty good biblical ideas and understanding. See, in the business world, they have this way of, of making, of setting goals. And, and I like to use this personally, but it's not my only way because I believe it lacks some things. But I'm having this staff, we, they write what we call a growth plan. What are you going to do to grow yourself this year in your life, in your uh, relationships, in your finances, in your life with Jesus and ministry. See, the business model is this. It's used as an acronym called SMART. S is for SMART. Is it a SMART goal? M, is it a measurable goal? A, is it an attainable goal? R, is it relevant? And T, is it trackable? That's good. I use it. I would encourage you to do it. If you're not good at setting goals, it gives you a way to kind of break some things down. But let me take you to the scriptures because this is, I think, where the greatest goals can come from. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. We're going to pick it up there and interrupt the Apostle Paul. And in this passage, he uses the word goal a couple of different times. So if you I think we have it up here. Start right here. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's read it together, Okay. Are you ready? One, two, three. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I think that starts at verse 13. Let me start at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. I need to get my glasses. I can't see the little, little, little number on there. It's bright up here, you know. Those of you who've been up here. Ah, oh, there it is. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through Christ, uh, the, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now hear this. My goal, Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. His first point, this is the most important goal, loved ones. I'm going to give you two key goals to to work with this year. But the first one is, number one, to know Jesus. 
In all of this year, make your goal to know Jesus more and more. And when Paul says no here, I've talked about this over the years a couple of different times. It's not data, knowledge, and information, although it has to start there. You've got to get some knowledge. You've got to get some data, some understanding, some information about Jesus to know who he is, what he's done for you, how much he loves you. Because if you don't know that, it doesn't mean anything. The reason I love Trina so much is because I know so much about her. The reason there's some people out there that I don't really know that I love because I don't know anything about them. But the more I get to know, and then there's others that I do know. No, just kidding. I didn't say that. I'm a pastor. But I, 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 the more, it's, and you know this if you have someone close to you, the more you get to know them and how much they serve you and love you and give to you and take care of you and love, bless you just can't help but love them more and more and get up every day and go, I want to serve and I want to love this person. And Paul says, he, 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 in, in these verses 1 through 9, he talks about where he came from and how he had this religious understanding of God. He knew God theologically. He knew him religiously and legalistically. But here he makes this transition and says, I got to know Jesus intimately. It's not about facts and data. He literally saying, there's a, there's a union between me and Jesus Christ that I've got to continue to grow in. And it's intimate. And when I say intimate, I mean intimate. The word there goes back to Eve knowing Adam intimately. And there's something about that relationship when you become open to Jesus Christ. And it moves beyond this little Sunday morning gathering, which is so critical for every one of you to be involved and consistently and embrace so we can help you grow and help you grow in this intimacy. But the key to intimacy isn't that I brush up against Trina once a week. The key is, is that I embrace and engage her every day in good, in bad, in difficult. And that's what we get to do with Jesus Christ, loved one. Where it isn't a religion that you take part in, but it's a relationship that you enter into. How do you really get to know the Lord? Well, I do believe Bible study, just getting up in the morning, three, four, five, six times a week, or before you go to bed and just maybe spending time in reading and journaling. Some just read. I, you can do it without journaling. I journal, many journal. But you spend time in the Word. And then you spend time with His people. Because there you get to begin to see the expression of Jesus who is really seen through His church. And then you serve. Because if Jesus served, we get to serve. Those are all things that help move us toward growing in intimacy beyond just coming and sitting and receiving on a Sunday morning. But can I tell you another way? And you're not going to like this. I don't like it. I don't think I've said this before. You know how Paul is saying you grow in intimacy, you get to know him, your goal to know Jesus Christ? Paul's in prison. He's been beaten, forgotten, but this is what he knows. He says, I know Jesus is alive. 
I know that I want to experience not only Jesus, but the power of his resurrection. Get this. When you go through tough, difficult times, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrections. I want to be one in his sufferings. When you suffer, and Paul suffered, that is when you get to experience at deeper depth and dimension the love of God. I don't like that. Because I like everything nice and smooth and easygoing and, you know, bills paid and everybody healthy and things just moving forward. But Paul says the greatest way, one of the ways that you're going to get to experience not just Jesus intimately, but the power of his life and the power of his resurrection is when you become one and you embrace the sufferings. When does God speak loudest to us? Most people I talk to, the greatest lessons and the greatest things they've heard from God is through the most difficult times. There's people sitting in this room right now that you are in the midst of or coming out of a time and you would say, I've heard God like never before in some areas. I want to challenge you, loved ones, make this year the goal of knowing Jesus Christ better. I believe this. The test of Jesus' love is that he gave his life for me. The test of my love, the test of your love for Jesus is that you live for him every day in every way. That's what Paul is saying here. He's in a heap, he's in trouble, he's in prison, but he says no matter the trials, no matter the troubles, the difficulties, the circumstances, I will show up and I will worship this God and I will partake and participate and be a part of his resurrection power and the sufferings that come to my life because it is in them and through them I will get to know him better. Secondly, this godly goal of knowing him, it'll stretch you. Paul has now walked with Jesus probably for close to 30 years. And I love what he says there. He says, you know what? I continue to press forward. I continue to press on. Why? Because I haven't received everything. He says this, not that I've already reached the goal. He uses that word again. Or am I already fully mature? I haven't arrived. But I make every effort. And it's the idea of a runner at the finish line stretching stretching for the band to break it first. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it. Because God, Jesus Christ, has taken a hold of me. And because of that, I want to get everything that he has for me. I love that. I'm going to work. I'm going to press. I'm going to stretch. Because it'll stretch you when you begin to give everything that you've got to Jesus Christ. Paul's been living with him for 30 years. Started a church, established churches. He started the church in Philippi. Now he says, man, I've been around the tracks a lot. Run a lot of races. But I'm not there yet. How many of you live your Christian life as if you kind of arrived? You're not taking anything new for God. You're not learning anything new. You're not pressing yourself. You're not stepping out in something new, maybe a ministry. And now it's just ho-hum. 
I'm just going to kind of, you know, God's probably pretty happy with. (laughs) You know, let's not take this too seriously. But see, if you're really, if your goal is going to be this year to know Jesus, it is going to stretch you. And, And some of us haven't been stretched. And I think Jesus would lovingly, graciously, but very straightforwardly come and say, this is the year I'm going to stretch you. There is a spiritual, there's a spirituality out there that would lead many to believe that you don't have to grow and work at it. You know, you just kind of, you make this decision and then, boom, everything just happens for you. I call it the gospel glob syndrome. You know, you make a decision for Christ or maybe, just, maybe it's even just to start attending church and all of a sudden, that's all you do. And you become a gospel glob. You just sit there and take up space and get bigger. And you kind of live with this whole idea, I'm just going to let go and let God. It's not the case. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says. But have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Get that, underscore that, underline it. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The idea there, the word train. See, loved ones, it's, 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 it, we get our word gymna- gymnasium from it. What Paul is saying to his protege, Timothy, he's saying you and the people at Creekside and the people at Morello and the people at First Baptist and Second Baptist and all these different places, he's saying go to the gym, spiritual gym, and get after it. Sweat a little bit, work. Find out, know what God wants you to do and be a part of it. You know what the number one goal is, don't you? Or the number one resolution every year is, don't you? Exercise, get in shape, and watch my diet. And probably in the church, one of the number one spiritual goals is get in shape, spiritually move forward, blah, blah, blah. And just like the other one, what happens? 17 days into it, oh, it's too hard. I'm busy. And we let it go. But Paul says, listen. You've got to get after this. Because while physical stuff is good for a while, we want to see you get spiritually, spiritually buffed, spiritually in shape. And the Bible says, loved ones, hear me, the key to spiritual growth is Colossians 1.27, Christ living in you, the hope of glory. And if you have received Jesus Christ, if you have embraced his work on the cross for you, you have this power, the power of the resurrection that Paul talked about in verse 10, residing, abiding within you. Now hear me. You can't be like Jesus in your own power. It's not possible. Only the Holy Spirit can do it with you. Spiritual growth isn't imitation, it is inhabitation. Inhabitation of the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said about aligning your will and your thinking with His? To be intentional about that. Remember a few years ago when the big craze was WWJD? Everybody wore the bracelets. What would Jesus do? 
That's a great thought, a great question to live by. But it's an impossible proposition. The only way you can do what Jesus would do is if you walk with Jesus, learn of Jesus, and determine to do what Jesus does as the Holy Spirit of God that resides in you, the hope of glory is in you, and you begin to submit to and listen to that spirit that wants to work in you and ultimately through you. Hear me. There is only a part of this growth continuum in your life that God can do. But hear me. Hear me. There's only a part that you can do. There are two sides to spiritual growth. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. Paul said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have a phobia about it. Be concerned about it. Take it so seriously that you go, I want, this is serious stuff. And I'm just a little phobic if I don't move forward in it. And what does he say? He says, because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Two parts to that. He says, you and you and you and you and me. You work out what? What God has worked in. It is, loved ones, a cooperative effort. It isn't either or. Oh, I'm just going to sit back, and man, when God moves me. No. It's, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to stress. I'm going to strain. I'm going to run. Because God will work in me and work out from me those things that he's already done in me as I work and cooperate with him. Paul said his work, God has worked his great life into us. Now work it out. I mean, see, I'm not really, I'm not buffed at all. And I just realized that one of my goals for this year is I got to rebuild muscle because it's just kind of like there isn't any there. It's kind of, I've become a gospel glob physically. But it's not that I got to go, okay, I got to make muscle. No, I've already got the muscle. God's given it to me. I got to work it. And see, it's the same thing with you and all of us. We've got what it takes. We just got to build it. We got to work with the natural byproducts of spirituality that God has already deposited within us. That's the part of spiritual growth we can do. We've already been given it because of what Christ has done for us and given to us. Now, Let me get just a little more practical. There's an instructive scene in the Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back. And there's a great theologian. His name is Yoda. And he's he's instructing Luke Skywalker. And he's trying to help him. This is how you're going to use the force. And so he asks Luke to retrieve a disabled spaceship out of the bog where it was sunk and use only your mind. Now, Luke had done this before with rocks. But a spaceship? Could could we really do it with a space? That's completely different. Well, Yoda's trying to convince him that it's only different in your mind, and Luke reluctantly agrees to do what? I will give it a try. And some of you are probably pretty big Star Wars fans. What does Yoda famously say? No. No. Try not, 
or do not. There is no try. I've used the word try. Matter of fact, I, I am. I've been trying for the last year to lose 15 pounds. And I've really tried. Matter of fact, I've tried so hard that I was coming out of a meeting or going into a meeting the other day, and as I was walking in, one of the staff jerks... I walk in, and all of a sudden, he walks up behind me. He's a guy that does the music, and, and he pulls a candy wrapper out of my back pocket. Now, what's going on, boss? Trying to lose some weight, huh? I was trying. But don't you hear people say that all the time? I'm trying. I'm trying to have a better marriage. I'm trying to have better finances. And you know what? I think it's not a good idea. I like the words of Yoda. Don't try. Do. Do. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Okay, well, let me get really practical with you. There's a chair. Christopher, would you come over and try and pick that up, please? No, I said, put it down. I said, try, try and pick that up. (laughs) Now he's pretty smart, walked away. But here's the difference, isn't it? See, there's three things you can do. You can try, you can do, or you can not do. Most of us get stuck at trying, and we will use the word try because, you know, it's a lot easier to try while we've got candy, wrap, candy wrappers hanging out of our back pants. <laughs> and what it does is it gives us an excuse to not have to work out what God says, I want to work into you. And, and I'm going to tell you, I really believe this. God is all about body, soul, and spirit. When I tell you that, I kind of become accountable now for what I'm saying I need to do. Because I believe there's a lot of different reasons that I won't enumerate because it wastes your time but God wants me to lose some weight for some health issues, health reasons. And that is almost as spiritual, almost as spiritual as reading my Bible because God wants me to do it. Not so that I look good if that was possible, but more so so that I can accomplish what he wants me to do for the next year and into the future. And see, loved ones, that's one of the things I don't ever want us to forget, that the spiritual and the practical are always amalgamated. And some of us sit here and we go, I'm trying, I'm trying. But we're really not doing anything. And if your goal is to get closer and to know Jesus better this year, you are going to have to do some things. See, some people want to focus totally on the spiritual part and emphasize God's part. And others want to emphasize man's part and what we do. It's both and. Hear the voice of God and respond. Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 19, said, what I see the Father doing, I do. John chapter 12, he says, what I hear the Father saying, I speak. I don't do anything else on my own initiative, but I'm hearing and doing, hearing and doing. And that's what a disciple does. 
And that's how a disciple grows in relationship to Jesus. These kind of goals like this to know Jesus better, that you can gain Christ fully, it's also going to provoke you to refocus. Notice Philippians 3.13 says this, Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and I reach forward to what is ahead. This statement is one of the most gracious, burden-lifting, life-giving statements in the Bible, I believe. Paul isn't really talking so much about forgetting. Because he had a lot to forget. He killed Christians. He, He murdered Christians. He persecuted Christians. He pulled them out of their homes and separated them from their families. He had some significant things to forget. He doesn't say, I forget. He says, I'm forgetting. For Paul, the word forgetting implies simply a disregard. He disregards the past. It has no power over him in the present. In other words, he doesn't see himself through the lens of his own failures or his past. He isn't tethered to it. He says, I am forgetting. I haven't forgotten everything, but I'm going this way. And everything back there is getting smaller and smaller through the years. And some of you need to understand that when you come to Jesus Christ and experience his forgiveness, that's what he wants to happen for you in your life. That you are no longer tied to the past, but you are living in the ever-present now and moving to the preferable future that Jesus Christ has for you. Forgetting, working to leave it behind, not letting it have any power of influence over you. Because here's what's going to happen. Some of us are going to make some big mistakes and fail this year. And you will either stay down or you will always be getting up to the preferable future that God has for you. And when you can do that, life just gets so much better. What do you got to forget? I don't know. Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's a divorce. You're still hurt over it. You're ticked off about it. You cannot forgive, you say. You're trying. Now, I understand forgiveness is a process. It may take months, years, but the key is that you move on. Maybe it's a death of a loved one, a friend, a family member. Maybe it's a resentment. Maybe there's unforgiveness because someone's hurt you, insulted you, slighted you, not done something for you. Or maybe they've done something to you. I love the quote. It says, he that doth not forgive burns the bridge over which he himself needs to pass. Listen, friends, all of us are going to need that bridge of forgiveness. Jesus brings it to you. And because of that, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving everyone, even as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Maybe you're feeling guilty about a wrong decision, something you've done, regret over a series of decisions that have made your life difficult. Maybe you're envious of others. Maybe there's shame that's rooted in something from your past, early experiences as a child that keeps, or someone keeps telling you, you're not good enough, you can't do it. Hear the voice of the Lord to you that says, I love you. I accept you. Peter Marshall said this. I love this. 
Never let the past be so dear as to limit the future. That can be good. Maybe you've had some successes and you're still relying on those instead of moving forward. That can inhibit you from knowing Christ and moving forward because he is the God of the new and the now and has something better for you beyond what you experienced five weeks, five years ago. And sometimes we forget that because we get comfortable and we don't want to grow. We don't want to change. We don't want to move forward. Paul is saying here, don't live for the past. Live for the now and the future for what God has for you. I heard a great talk this week uh, from a pastor named Erwin McManus. We had a leadership gathering here with Pastor Steve and Pastor George and um, Pastor Blake. And we, we talked about keeping our community, the ones that have come out of Creekside. And so we were watching this DVD by Erwin McManus, and he was sharing just this great talk on uh, how he just ticked him off about hearing this phrase, there's nothing new under the sun. And he finally came to the realization that the person that said that was the wisest man in the world, Solomon, but he was in the midst of a pretty big black side, backslide where he was hopeless and basically saying nothing matters in life anyway. And sometimes we really buy into that. There's nothing new under the sun. Baloney! There are new things that God wants to do in you, in this church. It's not about staying the same. One of the greatest things I'm convinced I can do for you, loved ones, is to change things around just to drive you crazy. (laughs) No, not to drive you crazy, but to show you that we serve a God that's always bringing change and transformation to our lives. And sometimes we don't buy into it or we won't embrace it because we want to stay right where we are. You know why? History is comfortable. The future is scary. But Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this, don't remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. He's speaking this to a nation. And I believe he wants to embed it in your hearts into this new year. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Don't you see it? Indeed, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. This is a prophetic statement of what God wants to do. Behold I'm the God of the new. I mean, the the scriptures are replete with new things. It says God gives us a new heart. He gives us new mercies every day. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth at the end. Think of what Jesus did. He healed people. He touched people. He spoke words of healing to them. He brought in a new church. And I think that he wants to continually, loved ones, do new things in you, in me, in us. But we got to believe and receive that he's this God that is creative. He's not this stagnant, static, boring, dumbed-down God. He wants to bring good things to your life that will challenge you, will grow you, will draw you to trust him because of the things that he calls you to do. Last thing is, A worthy goal is ultimately God's call for your life. Philippians 3.14 says this. Paul again uses the word goal. I pursue my goal. What is it? It's the prize that is promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Look at me, hear this. Sometimes when we talk about these things, everybody goes... 
oh, well, whoa, oh, uh, you know, I'm just a truck driver, or I'm just, uh, you know, an office clerk, or I'm just a CPA, or, you know, fill in the blank. No, that's not just what you are. That happens to be part of your life assignment. Give it your best for Christ. See yourself as a missionary wherever you are so that Jesus can work in you and through you to make a difference this next year. But if you're only, if I'm only a pastor, oh, you know, I'm just going to get up here, I think, and preach on Sunday, try and keep everybody happy. Heck no! I'm going to challenge you. I'm telling the staff, there's, there's more for us to do in this city. We, we, we can't just be happy with the things that we're doing. We can celebrate them. But then we've got to say, God, what's the new thing you're calling us to do? What's the new thing that you have for our lives? And maybe for some of us, the, the, the new thing is just a reminder, be the best partner that you can be this year. Because you've maybe let it slip and you say, I've got to re-engage my spouse at a new level because it's drifting. And I've got to get intentional about being Jesus in my home to my spouse or to be the best parent or to be the best partner or to be the best worker. And then out of that, God, what do you want me to do through the mission of Creekside? Man, I haven't done anything ever. It's time to step up. What's the goal that God has for you here in serving him through this place? Now back to Larry Walters. Larry's flying over 15,000 feet. He gathered the nerve to finally shoot a few balloons to slowly descend. Well, the hanging tethers tangled, caught a power line, and blacked out a neighborhood of Long Beach for 20 minutes. Larry climbed to safety where he was arrested by waiting members of the LAPD. He was led away in handcuffs, and I told you this earlier, but a reporter that was there to cover the, the rescue said, Larry... Why'd you do it? And he nonchalantly said, a man just can't sit around. I'm not saying go do this. <laughs> but the human race sits in a chair. The church too often sits in a chair. Too often you and I sit in a chair. On the one hand is the message that says there's nothing left to do and we just get caught in the sameness of life. And then there's a weary Walters of the earth who's buying balloons for their chairs because of a dream, because of an imagination to do something that no one else has done. See, I serve a God that's highly creative because he's the creator. And I want to be a man this year that hears his voice, does what he wants, and maybe gets in a chair and does some pretty silly things because that's what God calls us to do. You got two options, loved ones, going into this new year. You can either please yourself or please other people, and that's a dead end. 
Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For I am now trying to win the favor of people or God. No. Or am I, am I striving to please people? No. If I were trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. This is the focus, loved ones, of the new year. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says this. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we at home or in the body or if we're away from it. Could you imagine if every day you quoted that verse? Lord, today, whether I'm in my home or I'm going out, my goal is to please you. And that just became kind of your before getting out of bed or before leaving your bedroom and just bowing and saying, God, my goal is to please you. That's how Paul lived. There's an acrostic, it's ACUP, A-C-U-P. And I want to just tell you what it is. Because I want you to have a cup of grace for every day this year. A, Christ accepts me because of the cross and the power of his resurrection. C, Christ cleanses me because of the cross and the power of his resurrection. You, Christ can use you and you and you and this church because of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Don't diminish yourself when God simply wants to raise you up. And then P, Christ will protect you this year because of the cross and the power of his resurrection. Hear me, he may not keep you from everything, but he will protect you from all things. Amen? Make Jesus your goal this year. And maybe if you're here today and you've never opened your life to him, if you've never ex accepted the, the challenge to follow Jesus, everything that I said today really won't be meaningful to you unless you're just a good business person and understands goals and you'll do those on your own and work hard to do them. But it won't bring you into a relationship with Christ. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you. Take a moment right here. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Maybe you need to, going into this new year, make a recommitment to Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, make the decision now. It'll either be a good one or a bad one, and that's always a good one. Let's pray. Father, we sit here today, two weeks into a new year, and we want to ask you to come and be the goal of our life. It won't happen by happenstance or if we just kind of allow ourselves to drift. We've got to make a decision. And everything else comes and flows from the grace of that relationship. And if there's anybody here today that says, I, I want to recommit to Jesus Christ, I want to drive a stake in the ground today, I'm going to invite you just to pray a little prayer silently with me in just a moment. If you have never said, I want to follow Jesus Christ, that's really what it's about. He comes into you, but ultimately, it's about you following him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you today to do that. 
and just pray the simple prayer that I'm praying. Father God, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins. And the power of the resurrection is what gives me the power to live day by day for you. I receive you into my life today. Be the leader. Be my savior. I choose to follow you today.